We're in Matthew 15, and we're going to look at verses 10 to 20 this morning. Last week we looked at Matthew, well, really, really the section that we're in, Matthew 15, 1 to 10 last week, but we really started a little bit earlier in chapter 14. But today we're looking at verses 10 to 20, and it's an important text for a number of reasons. Jesus is going to hear instruct us on the nature of true defilement. I called the sermon the nature of true defilement. What what truly defiles a person? What makes somebody unclean in God's sight? Our text this morning is going to tell us that our problem in this regard is our heart. Not the not the blood pumping organ inside of us, but the the inner person in each one of us, the heart. What's in the heart comes out of the mouth and it comes out in our actions and that's what defiles a person. And so this is a key text on the heart. What is the heart? What is the the nature of the heart? Are we are we good or are we bad? Are we clean or are we unclean in God's sight? Now this is also a key verse or a, a key section on the nature of true religion. The Pharisees taught that man just needed to keep himself pure by avoiding certain outward things that defiled by avoiding certain outward actions that made one unclean. And they seemed to believe that they were maybe good on the inside and that they just needed to watch out for evil that that came at them from the outside. But their religion never dealt with the heart. They weren't concerned with the thoughts or the desires of the heart. They only concerned themselves with external things like washing hands, eating or not eating certain foods, doing or not doing certain actions. But true religion it recognizes something deeper. True religion focuses on the internal as well as the external. Man needs to be changed internally in the heart. Only then can his or her outward actions be right in God's sight. And so man's problem, our problem is deeper than our outward actions. Our problem is deeper than the external. We have a problem and that is sin. And that problem goes all the way to the core of who we are. It goes all the way down to the heart. Now another important issue in our text deals with is is this, it instructs us how to think about and interact with those who only seek to heal our wound lightly. Okay, so Jeremiah 6.14, Jeremiah 8.11, they both say this, quote, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they were of this sort. They, they wanted to kind of heal the people of God, but, but not by dealing with the heart. They only wanted to deal with the externals. And they dealt superficially then with the wound of God's people. Last week we saw that what Jesus said about them in verse 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their heart was far from the Lord. They weren't dealing with the heart and their heart was far from the Lord. They exalted their traditions, you remember, above the word of God. Jesus called them hypocrites. He said their worship was vain. In other words, their their worship was empty. It was useless. And so our text is going to tell us how to think about such people, how to think about their ministries. What impact should they have on our lives? 
Remember, the Pharisees are, were offended about what Jesus was doing and what he was saying. And so how should we respond when people like these scribes and Pharisees take offense against us and, and against the truth that we teach? And Jesus is going to show us in our text today. And so we're going to learn about the heart. We're going to learn about true defilement. We're going to learn about the, the, the greatest problem that we have, which is also going to show us our true need. And we're going to learn about how to think and interact with those who would offer a different cure or who would fail to recognize our real problem or our true need. And so with that then, let's read our text for today. We're Again, we're going to look at verses 10 to 20 of Matthew 15. But let's start reading again in verse 1 so that we remind ourselves of the context here. So Matthew 15, starting in verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone." Well, our text naturally divides into three parts. First, Jesus speaks to the crowds in verses 10 and 11. Then second, Jesus speaks to the disciples about the Pharisees in verses 12 to 14. And thirdly, Jesus explains verse 11 to his disciples in greater detail, starting in verse 15 where Peter asks, but Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And we're going to follow that outline this morning with, with these headings. First of all, we're going to see the displeasing statement in verses 10 and 11. The displeasing statement. In verse 11, Jesus makes a statement about what defiles a person, and, and this statement offends the Pharisees. Then in verse 12, the disciples point out that the Pharisees were offended, and Jesus is, is really not very concerned. 
He tells the disciples in verse 14 to let them alone, and we're going to call this the distancing strategy in verses 12 to 14, the distancing strategy. And then third, we're going to see a further explanation of verse 11, and Jesus is going to explain what what really defiles a person is an evil heart. And we're going to call this the defiling source in verses 15 to 20. So first of all, the displeasing statement. Verses 10 and 11. Well, Jesus turns from the Pharisees and he he calls the crowd to him. The crowds must have been kind of listening from a distance. It, it would seem that that it's it's very possible that they heard some of the earlier interaction with with Jesus and the Pharisees, but now Jesus calls the crowd to him. And remember, as we kind of enter into this, that the, the Pharisees would have viewed, the, or the disciples would have viewed the Pharisees very favor, favorably, very highly. They would have thought of them well as, as true, good, religious Jews. Jesus pointed out in, in that earlier context that they had broken God's word because of their traditions, and Jesus called them hypocrites. He said their worship was in vain. He said their heart was far from God. And the crowds likely overheard some of this interaction, but now he calls the crowds in because he wants them to understand the nature of true defilement. Verse 10, and he called the people to him and he said to them, hear and understand. Hear and understand is a pair of commands urging the crowd to pay careful attention. In other words, what Jesus is about to say is really of critical importance. You need to hear it, but even more, you need to grasp it. We've seen this word understand often in Matthew. It means to have an intelligent grasp of something that challenges one's thinking or practice. And it can be translated understand or comprehend. Understanding what Jesus says here is is definitely going to challenge their thinking. And so he wants them to get this intelligent grasp that's going to challenge their thinking. He wants them to understand this truth about defilement in verse 11. Look at it again. It says, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. The Pharisees, you remember, were concerned that Jesus' disciples broke the tradition of the elders by not washing their hands when they ate. Now, Jesus, in the, the text we looked at last week, he didn't answer their question at first. Instead, he accused them of breaking God's word by their tradition. And now with the crowd present and ready to listen, he's going to talk about this issue of defilement and uncleanness. The Pharisees would ceremonial, ceremonially wash their hands by pouring water over them. Remember, it was, it was kind of a palm side up, fingers up, let the water drip off your wrist, and then another pouring with the palm side down, let the, the water drip off the fingers pointing down. And so they would kind of do this wash one hand at a time before they ate at any time. Again, this wasn't required by the law except for the priests when they entered into God's presence in the temple or in the tabernacle. Now, presumably, the Pharisees washed in this way because they believed that if they had touched something unclean in the day and then they ate with those unclean hands, that uncleanness would then enter into them somehow and they would become defiled. 
Now, it'd be hard for us to really understand and grasp how concerned the Pharisees were for this ritual purity. You know, if you think about it, they came all the way from Jerusalem just to ask this question of Jesus about this ritual purity, about this issue of washing hands. The Pharisees avoided crowds. They kept separate from sinners and tax collectors. They refused to even walk through Samaria. And so they were hyper aware of uncleanness and defilement. For Jesus then to say what he says in verse 11, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, it would have gone really against everything that they believed. Even the law taught that certain foods were unclean to Israel and they were not to be eaten or touched. If you want to see that, we could, let's turn back to um, Leviticus and look at chapter 11, Leviticus, Leviticus 11, really the whole chapter deals with this, but if we look at verse 8, there's this whole list of clean and unclean foods. And verse 8 says about, about the unclean food, it says, Moses spoke to, oh, uh, um, chapter 11, you shall not eat any of their flesh and you shall not touch their carcasses, they are unclean to you. Other unclean foods were detestable to Israel according to the same chapter. And the chapter ends like this, starting in verse 43. Look at that. It says, you shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms and you shall not defile yourself with yourselves with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord, your God, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy for I am holy. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. Now, this brings a bit of a theological issue on the law. You see, on the one hand, Jesus condemned the Pharisees for breaking the law, right? If if we go back to our text and and look at again at verse 3, Jesus answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But on the other hand, we just saw in Leviticus 11, this is the law about beast and bird and every living creature. So how can Jesus condemn the Pharisees for breaking the law, but then make a pronouncement that then seems to break the law in regards to the food? Now, if you go over just to to Mark chapter 7, this is the parallel passage. Mark makes an editorial comment here that that makes the implications of what we see in Matthew really clear. Uh, This is Mark 7, starting in verse 18 and 19. Mark 7, 18. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. And then Mark makes this editorial comment there, thus he declared all foods clean. 
And so Mark makes clear what, what Jesus said and the full implications of what Jesus says also in our passage in Matthew 15. Jesus is saying that food does not defile a man. But does then, does, does this not then break the law about food? And I think there's, there's maybe two things that we could say here, and, and hopefully this will be helpful as we think about this. First of all, the Old Testament, it did already teach that true holiness or, or true cleanliness was an internal thing. And so, for example, David recognized in Psalm 51, remember that's his repentance psalm after he sinned with Bathsheba. This is Psalm 51, 16. He says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Earlier in the same Psalm 51.6, it says, Behold, you, speaking to God, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And so David knew that God cared about the heart and not merely about the external act of making a sacrifice, even though God had commanded those sacrifices. Psalm 24, again, asks this question. It says, who shall, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? And the answer in verse four is he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Where clean hands here doesn't mean ceremonially clean hands. It means clean in the sense of, of holy actions that come from a pure heart, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. But even though that we, we need to acknowledge that the Old Testament kind of put the primary emphasis on the internal purity of the heart, still we can't deny that according to the law, there were things that could and would make one unclean if they went into the mouth. And so the second thing we need to say here is no, number two, Jesus sees himself as the fulfillment of the law. And so we want to turn back with that to an important text in Matthew chapter 15, or Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Very important here, Matthew 5, 17 to 20, really a, a key section in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus starts there, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now I I recently kind of uh, did some more study on that in the, in the last months on this kind of section of Matthew, an important section. And uh, I think I have a a slightly different understanding than the way I, I explained it. Uh, when we went through Matthew chapter 5 in, in the Sermon on the Mount. But we're not to think here, according to this verse, that, that Jesus came to abolish the law or the prophets. In other words, the Old Testament, that's what he's speaking about here when he says the law or the prophets. Jesus didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. He's not changing the Old Testament or doing away with it. He came, he says, to fulfill it. He came to bring it to its intended end. Everything in it must be and and will be accomplished. Everything that the law and the prophets spoke about, 
needs to be fulfilled, accomplished, brought to completion. Now, this again is an important text in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and you'll remember that this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus went up the mountain and, and he gave this sermon. And I think more and more as I think about this passage and, and as I study this, this Sermon on the Mount, I think more and more what's happening in this sermon is that Jesus is giving his people here, if we could say it this way, he's giving them a new law. He's giving the people a new law. Remember, Moses went up on the mountain and then gave the law for the old covenant to the people of Israel. And in the same way, Jesus now, the Messiah, is come and he is going up the mountain and he's giving the law, the Sermon on the Mount, for his people. Remember, he's come as the mediator of a new covenant. He's come as a new priest and a new king and a new prophet. And this was all foretold in the Old Testament. So when Jesus fulfills this, we do expect this new prophet, this new priest, this new king to give a new law for the new covenant. And again, that law is the Sermon on the Mount. This is what we are to live by as people in the new covenant. Now this new law, even though I'm calling it that, it doesn't abolish the law. What it does is it brings it to its intended end which ends up being a new law which is written in our hearts as believers in the new covenant. The law is written on our hearts if we are in the new covenant. And then in verse 19, Jesus speaks of these commandments. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, these commandments, I believe, refers not to the commandments of the Old Testament law, but to Jesus' new commandments in this sermon. Again, therefore, because he's the fulfillment, therefore, because Jesus has not abolished the law, but brought it to completion and fulfillment, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus, as the fulfillment of the law, he is the authoritative lawgiver who stands in the place of Moses. And in our text in Matthew 15, he can condemn the Pharisees for breaking the fifth commandment, which continues into the new covenant while at the same time saying that food is no longer what defiles. And I, I, I really do think that that's the way to understand these things, although these are some, some difficult areas of theology and, and wrestling through this. Now, even as Jesus says this, it's going to take quite a while before the church really begins to grasp these things. And so he says it now, but it's going to be not until after the resurrection and even late into the, through the book of Acts that the church is really going to understand that, that they're released from the food laws and from some of these other things, you know, like talking to the Samaritans or keeping the Sabbath or, or things like those that, that are kind of slowly released over time in the new covenant period. But the Pharisees, they understand what Jesus is saying. Even if the crowd doesn't, and and we're going to find out soon here, the disciples don't really understand either, but it seems that the Pharisees at least have some grasp of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 15 and verse 11. 
And so they understand enough. And again, in verse 12, when the, the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And so the Pharisees who are, are hyper aware of cleanness and uncleanness on this external level, they're offended that Jesus would say that, that those things cannot defile a person. And so that was the displeasing statement in verses 10 and 11. Let's go now and let's look at, secondly here, the distancing strategy. The distancing strategy. And even as I I say that, let me just leave you with this. If you're just kind of curious about Matthew 5, 17, 18, 19, uh, there's there's a book that I recently read that I would recommend to you. So come talk to me about that after and I could I could kind of point point you in that direction. But number two, the, the distancing strategy verses 12 to 14. Here's how the Pharisee, or here's how Jesus teaches his disciples to deal with the Pharisee's offense. First of all, as we think about this, Jesus must have been so unconcerned about it that the disciples felt the need to tell him, to let him know that they were offended. They come to him in verse 12, do you know? that the Pharisees were offended when the, they heard this saying. And so Jesus is showing them that, that he has the attitude that he's going to recommend to us in a moment. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how you handle these kinds of things. But I, I know for myself, when, when someone's offended by me, it, it bothers me. Even, even if it's just for expositing scripture, for teaching the truth, I, you know, I think about it, it affects me, and, and you would likely know that, that I know about it. If, if there's people that are upset at me, you're, you're, and you're kind of close in my life, like if you're my wife or, or my kids, you're gonna, you're gonna probably know that it, it, it's bothered me to some level, but we think about the Lord Jesus and, and He is just unaffected. Do you know they're offended? It's like, it's like it just, it just, he's just kind of serving the Lord, trusting the Lord. He's not worried about it. He's unaffected. He trusts God. He speaks the truth. He doesn't worry about the Pharisees. And look at what he answers in verse 13. He says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And so he just trusts God's sovereignty in the, in the whole thing. Jesus says that they're, they're plants that his father has not planted. And Jesus can say that because Jesus knows. Now, this is something that, that we likely aren't going to be able to say in this life. We're not going to be able to tell for certain which people have or have not been planted by the Lord. But we can and should be discerning enough to look for fruit. And again, to go back to the Sermon on the Mount, go to chapter 7 and, and verse 15. As we're kind of interacting with people in the world, one of the things that, that Jesus told us is, starting in verse 15 of chapter 7, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They will, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now in, in this case, and in, in our text, we're talking about people who ignore the plain teaching of God's word because of their traditions. And, and we talked about that last week. 
And they're offended not because Jesus sinned, but because Jesus taught them the truth. Remember, Jesus is the Son of God incarnate. And, and they're offended by his teaching on defilement. Now, we might have thought that they were offended by the other things that he said to them as well. Remember, he's called them hypocrites and all kinds of things. But, but really what Jesus ends up answering here is what he said in verse 11. And it seems that they were offended about that. Now, these people have a, a low view. <clears throat> they have a low view of God's word and, and a low view of Christ. And, and that shows that those are the fruits that show that they were not planted by the Father. Now, this language about planting comes from the Old Testament where Israel is a vine that Yahweh planted. Isaiah 60 verse 21 says, Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands that I might be glorified. And again, in Isaiah 61 and verse 1, this speaks about the Messiah. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Again, this is the Messiah's work. And so what Jesus is saying is that these hypocrites' hearts are far from me and neither I nor my father have planted them. And one day, on the day of judgment, they will be uprooted. And this reminds us of the parable of the weeds in the field. Remember, the servants were to leave the wheat and the weeds alone until harvest day, which represented judgment day. This is Matthew 13 and verse 30. In that parable, it says, Let both grow together, the weeds and the wheat, until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And the interpretation of that parable was starting in verse 39 of the same chapter, Matthew 13, the harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so Jesus is saying these plants, these Pharisees are going to be judged. So don't be overly concerned about them now. Again, in verse 14, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And the idea is leave them alone. The word means to release them. Don't, don't worry about these religious traditionalists. Don't worry about what they think. Keep away from them. Leave them unheeded. Jesus wants his disciples to understand that these Pharisees are only going to lead them astray. And so, and, and so just let them go. Now, this is not saying never talk to people like this. It's, it's not a, a shunning that Jesus is talking about or a, an admonition to have absolutely nothing to do with them. 
It's more like, stop thinking so highly of them. He's telling his disciples, stop thinking so highly of them. Leave them to their own ways. They're only going to lead you astray. See, the Jews in general and, and scribes and Pharisees in particular, they, they thought of themselves as guides to the blind. Paul says in Romans 2.17, he says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and you know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment and knowledge of uh, the embodiment of knowledge and truth then you who teach others do you not teach yourself and and so we get the picture there that the the Jew thought of himself as an instructor to the the children a guide to the blind a light to those in darkness and what Jesus does here is he he picks up on that language and he says sure you're a guide to the blind but you're actually a blind guide to the blind. And his disciples, they needed to realize this. And I think we do too. We need to heed this. Don't, don't follow a blind guide. You'll fall into a pit. And a pit, the pit here, of course, symbolizes hell. And so if you would not let a blind guide lead you, you know, let's imagine that you yourself were blind and, and you know that it'd be foolish to let a blind guide lead you because he might just lead you into a pit. Then conversely, why are you concerned about what these Pharisees think? That'd be like following a, a, a blind person into a ditch. <clears throat> And so as we think about ourselves, we'd say, yes, we need to reach these people with the gospel. And yes, if they're believers, we need to reach them with the truth that's going to help them to grow in Christ. But when people reject God's commandments, we need to realize that we should not follow such people. And I think our text really has so much potential to help us really navigate our own situation. I've observed so often that, that, that there's just so much concern about what an unbelieving traditionalist thinks about this or about that, often coupled with, with little concern to find out for sure what God actually thinks about this or that thing. And I think this text will help us to, to put things in a right perspective. When someone follows the traditions of men over the commandments of God, or if they focus on the external, over the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, Jesus says, let them alone. And this is his distancing strategy. Let them alone. They are blind guides. Don't worry about what they think. Don't worry about their offense. Just continue to follow the word of God yourself. And so again, that was the distancing strategy. Let's look now thirdly at the defiling source in verses 15 and 16. The defiling source. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Peter speaking for the rest of the disciples, like he's going to for the, the rest of the book of Matthew. He says, explain the parable to us. And they're asking here about verse 11. Just excuse me one sec.
So they're asking about verse 11. Jesus answers with the plural you. So he's talking to all of the disciples here, not just Peter. But Jesus expects, seems to have expected them to understand by now. Remember, he began this whole thing with hear and understand, but the disciples, they didn't understand. And he's almost a little, a little sharp with them. I'm almost a little even hesitant to say that, but, but he seems to be a little sharp with them. Are you still? And, and there's some emphasis in the word still in the original. It's still, are you without understanding? Now, of course, Jesus didn't sin. He didn't get impatient and all this, but, but he seems to have expected more from his disciples at that point. And some of the commentators even were as bold enough to say that he was a little bit frustrated with them by this time. But Jesus is going to now explain more fully in private for the disciples. Mark 7 and verse, I think it's 17 tells us that they were, they were now going to be alone in the house. Uh, again, that parallel section in Mark. And so Jesus now alone with his disciples, he says in verse 17, do you not see? And again, there's almost a, a bit of a thing there. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. <clears throat> you see, food just goes through the body. And it doesn't defile a person. It goes in the mouth, it goes through the stomach, and it is literally cast out into the toilet. Now what's more important is is what comes out of the mouth. And so it's not about what goes into the mouth, it's about what comes out of the mouth. Well, what comes out of the mouth? Words. And the source of these words that come out of our mouth is the heart. And so the mouth reveals what's in the heart. And this is what defiles a person. A bad heart defiles a person. And Jesus is going to expand on this now to show that it's, it's not just our mouth, but it's not just our words, but it's also our actions that show the true state of our hearts. And so he explains in verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Now the list begins with a summary heading. What comes out of the heart? It's evil thoughts. And everything else in this list really starts with evil thoughts. It begins in the heart. And that's where these things flow out of. That's the spring from which these things come. But it, it really starts in the heart with the thinking. And the heart in this biblical sense is, is really the thinking organ. Hebrews 4.12 speaks about the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Or in Matthew 6.21, Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the heart is our thoughts, it's our intentions, it's our treasure. In other words, it's the heart is what we value. Just some other verses on the heart. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Or in Proverbs 6 verse 25 Warning about this, this, uh, this evil woman. It says, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. And so there's this desire 
of the heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Or Proverbs 20 and verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And so our heart is desires. Our heart is our thoughts. Our heart is our purpose, our intention, our treasure, what we value. And so the heart really encompasses our mind and our affections and our will. Or we could say it maybe this way, the heart is the whole inner man, the whole inner person, mind, affections, and will. Now Jesus does talk in some places about a good heart, and we saw that kind of parallel with good trees and bad trees in Matthew 7. But it's inescapable here really to see that our hearts are bad by nature. Our our hearts are evil. By nature, we don't love God with all our heart as Matthew 22, 37 commands us, which is also uh, paralleled or a, a quotation from Deuteronomy 6. And so by nature, we don't love God with all our heart the way that we should. Instead, we have evil thoughts. We don't naturally value God. We don't naturally, as we come into this world, desire His will or purpose to glorify Him or intend to honor Him as He deserves. Instead, our hearts seek our own selfish desires, and those are evil thoughts. Therefore, by nature, according to Jesus, we are defiled. Each and every one of us, as we come into this world, we come in defiled by a wicked heart. And so it's not something external to us that defiles us, like what we eat or, or what we see or the society that we live in or bad influences around us or anything outside of us. That's not what defiles us. Our problem is inside of us. We are defiled. We have wicked hearts. We have wicked thoughts that, that lead into these wicked actions. And that's why we need salvation. That's why we need the grace of God because not only do we sin and need forgiveness of that, but also we are sinners. Our very nature is corrupt and so the the fountain is corrupt if we can see it that way. And it doesn't matter if you clean the external part of of the thing. If the source is corrupt, the whole river is corrupt and that's why we need to be born again. That's why we need salvation. Salvation gives us the forgiveness of our sins. It gives us a, a righteous coding, a, a righteous declaration from God's court. It gives us sanctification so that, that we grow to be more like Christ in this life. It gives us a new heart and a new spirit. And Jesus, as the mediator of the new covenant, is the only one who can give us this new heart that we need. He's the only one who can forgive us for the sins that that continue to come out of our heart even after we're saved. And he calls us to repent and believe, to trust in him. And he tells us that he will save all those who come to God through him. And so every one of us needs to come to the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and for the salvation that's in him. Because only Jesus can deal with our defilement at the source. Every other religious system, every other religion can only deal with the external things, but Jesus goes right to the heart and he can heal and transform and forgive us for the wickedness 
of our hearts. Now the deeds that come from our hearts follow, as we look at at this text, they really follow the Ten Commandments. Jesus had already mentioned the Fifth Commandment in verse uh, 4 of our text, for God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and that's from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, the Fifth Commandment, honor your father and mother. The next commandment is Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. The sixth command, the, the seventh commandment is you shall not commit adultery. Again, our text says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality. The eighth commandment is you shall not steal. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, and then Jesus says, theft. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and that's summarized in the next two words, false witness and slander. And so Jesus follows the the Ten Commandments, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. You shall, you honor your father and mother, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And these are covered, in some cases, Jesus uses two words like adultery. He talks about adultery and sexual immorality. Under false witness, he talks about false witness and slander, which both come under those headings. These are the things that defile a person. And again, they flow from our hearts. Verse 20, these are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And so Jesus closes this section by applying the principle, the true nature of defilement to this specific case of hand washing. The heart defiles not food, not hand washing, not lack of hand washing, not not anything external. That's not what defiles. Defilement comes from within. Now, as we think about these things and these sins that our, our Lord lists, and we think about the, the defiling nature of them, that they make us unclean in God's sight and make us worthy of his wrath, I, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the forgiveness that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. These commandments are, are things that when we, when we take them deeper like Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, these are things that, that we've all done. We've not honored our, our parents the way that we should. We've maybe not murdered anyone, but we've been angry in our heart with people at times. We've maybe not committed adultery, but what about the adultery in our thought life that the Lord Jesus talks about? I know that in my past, I, I, I've stolen things, and the 10th commandment Jesus doesn't even mention, but we, we're not even to covet things. Or bearing false witness, speaking evil against your neighbor. These are, these are all things that we are guilty of and, and defile us, but there is forgiveness for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. First John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we've seen this morning the displeasing statement. The Pharisees with their external religion, they were offended by what the Lord said. And I think as we seek to apply this to our own lives, I think we need to beware of of an external religion. We need to beware of a, a religion that doesn't deal with the true nature of the heart. 
There was this distancing strategy then. Second of all, we need to be those who fear God, not who fear others. We're not to think highly of, of religious hypocrites who, who disobey God's commandments. We're not to, to fear them and to allow them to influence us. Instead, we're to be like our Lord Jesus Christ, who just seems to let it roll off of his back. He says, let them alone. Don't let others influence us negatively in that way. That was Jesus' distancing strategy. And then we've seen the defiling source. This is our heart. And so if you're here this morning and, and you're not saved in Christ, you haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need a, a washing of your heart. You need this defilement to be taken away. And again, the only way is by repenting of your sin and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And really for all of us, we, we continue to have this remaining corruption in our hearts even after we're saved. And so we need to be sanctified. We need ourselves to be cleansed from this sin that, that we've been once for all forgiven for, but there, there's this continual cleansing. And so we're to confess our sins and recognize that Jesus forgives us and cleanses us. And we're to continue to be sanctified, to be transformed in our hearts so that we can grow and, and no longer be like we once were. And this is a continual process in the Christian life. We're continually dealing with the source, looking at our thinking and, and the, the actions and the words that come out of our thinking. We're to, to be continually growing and putting off sin and becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these are the, the things that we've seen today, and those are the ways that we should apply these to our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for our time in your word this morning. We thank you just for the, the applicableness of this passage and how it speaks to us. Uh, Father, we pray that, uh, that you would help us in these things. We pray again that you would cleanse us of our sins and purify our hearts, Lord. We pray that you'd help us to think rightly about, about others and what they think. And uh, we just pray that you'd be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.